one of a bill of divorcement by clement stane this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org cast of characters margaret fairfield read by ariel lipshaw miss hester fairfield read by elizabeth clatt sydney fairfield read by amanda friday bassett read by capricia page gray meredith by matt perard kit pumphrey read by brett downey hilary fairfield read by adrian maskell dr Elliot. read by tavarish the reverend christopher pumphrey read by rick f narrated by amanda friday act one the curtain rises on the hall obviously used as the common room of a country house on the right of the audience is the outer door and a staircase that runs down from an upper landing toward the middle of the room half hiding what has once been a separate smaller room with a baize door at the back in the corner a french window opens on to a snow-bound garden on the left facing the entrance a log fire is blazing staircase pictures grandfather clock etc are wreathed with holly and mistletoe at the breakfast table which is laid for three and littered with paper and string sit miss hester fairfield and margaret fairfield her niece by marriage the third chair has two or three parcels piled up on it hester fairfield is one of those twitching high-minded elderly ladies in black who keep a grievance as they might keep a pet dog as soon as it dies they replace it by another the grievance of the moment seems to be the empty third chair and margaret fairfield is as usual on the defensive such a little pretty helpless-looking woman as margaret has generally half a dozen big sons and a husband to bully but margaret has only a daughter and her way of looking at even the chair in which that daughter ought to be sitting is the way of a child whose doll has suddenly come to life for the rest she is so youthfully anxious and simple and charming that the streak of grey in her hair puzzles you you wonder what trouble has fingered it it does not occur to you that she is quite thirty-five margaret apologizing yes she is late as usual oh well she was dancing till three i hadn't the heart to wake her till three was she who brought her home kit of course three o'clock on christmas morning i wonder what the rector said to that oh kit's on holiday i heard you tell her myself to be in by twelve if anything could make me approve of this marriage of yours oh don't begin it again auntie it's that the child will have a strong hand over her at last a stepfather's better than nothing if you can call him a stepfather when her father's still alive oh don't what's the use of saying don't he is alive you can't get away from that aunt hester please well i'm only telling you if it's got to be i'm not sorry it's grey meredith margaret smiling yes sydney knows just how far she may go with grey i see nothing to laugh at in that it's so funny to think how circumspect you all are with him he's the one person i've always felt perfectly safe with i'd ask anything of grey you always have my dear 
I don't know why you should be unkind to me on Christmas morning. Miss Fairfield, with a sort of grudging affection. I suppose it's because I've only got another week to be unkind to you in. Oh, I wish you didn't hate it so. My dear, when you see a person you care for, and she, your own nephew's wife, on the brink of deadly sin— Must we begin it again? I do my duty. If you'd done yours, your daughter wouldn't be late for breakfast, and I shouldn't be given the opportunity. Perhaps I had better call her. Everything getting cold, and so disrespectful. She ought to be taught. Margaret, rising with a sigh. You're quite right. Calling at the foot of the stairs. Sydney, darling, shall I bring you up your coffee? It's all right, mother. I'm coming. And I suppose that's all you'll say. Sydney comes out of her room. She is physically a bigger, fairer edition of Margaret, but there the likeness ends. Her manner is brisk and decided. She is very sure of herself, but when she loses her temper, as she often does, she loses her aplomb and reveals the schoolgirl. Her attitude to the world is that of justice untempered, except where her mother is in question, by mercy. But she is very fond of her mother. Sydney, running down the stairs. Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm not late, am I? Morning, Auntie. What? No post? It gets later every year. I'm very much obliged to you, Sydney, for the uh, card case. Sydney, undoing her parcels. It's a cigarette case, Auntie dear. You see, I thought if you gave me a prayer book again, we might do a deal. Ah, I thought so. Thanks most awfully. It's sweet of you. Shall we? What? Swap. Sydney, dear, that's rather rude. Well, mother, I hate being hinted at. Hint? What hint? Oh, mother, you're such a lamb. You never see anything. To Miss Fairfield. I'm sorry, auntie, but I'm seventeen, and I've left school, and I'm not going to church today, or any day, any more, ever, except to chaperone mother and Gray next week, bless em. I do think, Margaret, she ought at least to call him uncle. Aren't you coming with us today, darling? Christmas Day? Sorry, mother. It's against my principles. I refuse to kneel down and say I'm a miserable sinner. I'm not miserable, and I'm not a sinner, and I cannot tell a lie to please any old prayer book. Besides, I'm expecting Kit. You'll find that Kit takes his mother to church. She hasn't lost all her influence. She'll be finding herself up against me soon. Oh, Sidney, has he? He's trying his hardest to, but I like to sort of spread my jam. Then, then? I'm not actually engaged, if you mean that. Watching their faces mischievously. But I'm going to be. Engaged at seventeen? Preposterous. Mother was married at seventeen. That was the war. I don't see what that's got to do with it. Sidney, at seventeen one doesn't know enough. One doesn't know the same things, I dare say. One doesn't know anything at all. Yes, but think of the hopeless sort of world you were seventeen in. Even you. As for poor Auntie, as far as knowing things goes. Sidney, my dear, be good. I am being good. I'm returning hint for hint. Is this the way you let your daughter speak to me, Margaret? You see, she doesn't enjoy being hinted at either. Margaret, between the upper and the nether millstone. I don't know what you mean, Sydney, but don't. I mean that I'm not going to let Aunt Hester interfere in my affairs like she does in yours. That's what I mean. These are the manners they teach you at your fine school, I suppose. 
Never mind, Auntie. I've had my lessons in the holidays, too. You needn't think I haven't watched the life you've led Mother over this divorce business. Sydney, Sydney. Well, hasn't she? What prevented you from marrying Gray ages ago? Father's been out of his mind long enough, poor man. You knew you were free to be free. You knew you were making Gray miserable, and yourself miserable. And yet, though that divorce law has been in force for years, it's taken you all this time to fight your scruples. At least, you call them scruples. What you really mean is Aunt Hester and her prayer book. And now, when you have at last consented to give yourself a chance of being happy, when it's Christmas Day and you're going to be married at New Year's, still you let Aunt Hester sit at your own breakfast table and insult you with talk about deadly sin. It's no use pretending you didn't, Auntie, because Mother left my door open and I heard you. Sydney, I can take care of myself. Take care of yourself? As if everybody didn't ride roughshod over you when I'm not there. Yes, but my pet, you mustn't break out like this. Of course your aunt knows you don't really mean to be rude. I do mean to be rude to her when she's rude to you. My dear, you quite misunderstood your aunt. Oh, no, I didn't, mother. Margaret shrugs her shoulders helplessly and sits down on the sofa to the left of the fireplace. Miss Fairfield, rising. I'm afraid you'll have to go to church without me, Margaret. I'm thoroughly upset. You've brought up your daughter to ignore me, and I know why. I'm the wrong side of the family. I'm the one person in this house who remembers poor Hilary. I shall read the service in the drawing-room. She goes out. Sydney, looking after her. She owes me something. She's been dying for an excuse with that cold. She turns to the sofa and says more gently, What's the use of crying, mother? If Gray finds out, there'll be a row, and then Aunt Hester'll be sorry she ever was born. It isn't that. You get so excited, Sydney. You remind me. Your father was so excitable. I don't like to see it. I'm not really. I needn't let myself go if I don't want to. You mustn't get impatient with your aunt. She can't get accustomed to the new ways, that's all. I, I can't myself sometimes. I hope I'm doing right. Oh, I do think it's morbid to have a conscience. If father had been dead fifteen years, would you say, I hope I'm doing right? And he is dead. His mind's dead. You know you've done all you can. And you're frightfully in love with Gray. Margaret, flushing. Don't, Sydney. Well, you are. And so he is with you. So what's the worry about? Aunt Hester. What people like Aunt Hester choose to think. I call it morbid. I suppose I haven't brought you up properly. Your aunt's quite right. Yes, that's what it always comes back to. Your aunt's quite right. I can argue with you by the hour. Oh, not this morning, darling, will you? And Gray can argue with you by the hour. Margaret, smiling. Ah, but he never does. And you pretend to agree with us. But underneath your common sense, your mind's really thinking. Your aunt's quite right. She stands for the old ways, Sydney. She stands for Noah and the Flood. She'd no business to go dragging up father in the divorce on Christmas morning to upset you. It wasn't your aunt. Then it was me, I suppose? If I could only control my tongue and my temper and all the rest of it. No, it was about Kit. Kit? Oh, that's all right, mother. Don't you worry about me and Kit. I do. You needn't. You see, I thought I was in love at seventeen, too. Oh, but I quite know what I'm doing. And now I know I didn't know much about it. I don't want you to be 
rushed. Nobody could make me do what I didn't want to do. Margaret, forgetting Sidney. It was nobody's fault. It was the war. She sits, dreaming. It's extraordinary to me. Whenever you middle-aged people want to excuse yourselves for anything you've done, that you know you oughtn't to have done, you say it was the war. How could a war make you get married if you didn't want to? Margaret, groping for words. It was the feel in the air. They say the smell of blood sends horses crazy. That was the feel. One did mad things. Hilary, your father, he was going out, the trenches, to be hurt. And he was so fond of me, he frightened me. I was so sorry. I thought I cared. Can't you understand? No. Either you care or you don't. How can you know until it happens to you? How was I to know there was more to it than keeping house and looking after Hilary, and you? How was I to know? Is there so much more to it? Yes. I don't believe there is for some people. Why, it's just what I want, to look after Kit and a house of my own and, oh, at least half a dozen kids. Sidney, dear. Oh, Kit's as keen as I am on eugenics. He's doing a paper for his debating society. Well, I found you quite enough to manage. Sidney, leaning over the back of the sofa. I believe you were scared of me when I was little. Margaret nods. And even now— What? Well, if you had to choose between me and Gray, it wouldn't be Gray who'd lose you. I hope I'd do what's right. There you are. It's not true. You've no right to make me out a heartless mother. But— Sidney, her arm round her mother's neck. Well? Heartless mother? Margaret, clutching at the arm. Oh, Sidney, what should I do if Gray—if Gray— It's all right, mother. There is the sound of a motor driving up. There is Gray. Margaret, jumping up hurriedly. Oh, and I'm not dressed. Say I'll be down in a minute. She runs upstairs. You've plenty of time. The bells haven't begun yet. Margaret, from the gallery. Tell Bassett to clear away. Sidney rings the bell. The elderly parlour-maid enters through the baize door. Yes, miss. You can clear away, Bassett. While she is speaking, Gray Meredith comes in through the hall door. He is about forty, tall, dark, and quiet, very sure of himself, and quite indifferent to the effect he makes on other people. As he is a man who never has room in his head for more than one idea at a time, and as, for the last five years, that idea has been Margaret, the rest of the world doesn't get much out of him. But mention her, and he behaves exactly like a fire being poked. Gray, putting down the box he carries. Where's your mother? Sidney, folding her hands. Good morning, dear Sidney. A Merry Christmas to you, and so many thanks for the tie that, with the help of your devoted aunt, you so thoughtfully— Stop it. There's a good child. I haven't missed her, have I? Pray accept in return as a small token of esteem and total dependency. I asked you if your mother had started. It's true, you know. You simply daren't cope with me yet. Gray, twinkling in spite of himself. Hmm. A time will come. Wouldn't it warm the cockles of Aunt Hester's heart to hear you? What are cockles, Gray? Gray, she says I ought to call you uncle. Gray, do you think you've brought me what I think you have for a Christmas present? You'd better go and look. It's in the motor with Kit. It? He. By Viscount out of Vixen? Really, Sidney. Dear Uncle Hester? Yes, but Sidney. Sidney, at the door. Oh, didn't I tell you? 
Mother says she'll be down in a minute. She lets in the sound of the church bell as she goes out. Gray walks about the room. Then, going to the foot of the staircase, he calls softly. Margaret. He waits a moment. Then he calls again. Margaret. He listens, takes another turn about the room, then coming back to the staircase, stands leaning against the foot of the balusters. Margaret comes softly down the stairs, and bending over, puts her hands on his shoulders. A Merry Christmas. Gray, turning round and kissing her. And a Happy New Year. It will be. Oh, it will be. I almost think it will sometimes. Holding her at arm's length. New frock? Like it. Oh, I've seen it already. Why, it's the first time I've put it on. Gray, untying the box on the table as he speaks. Sidney carted it along with her last week when we went to choose this. For me, Gray? Looks like it. Oh, I hope you haven't been extravagant. Gray, opening the lid. Well, Sidney said... Silver fox! Oh, my dear, you shouldn't. Put em on. Sidney's quite a wise child. Oh, I do love being spoiled. You haven't had so much of it, have you, Meg? Don't. What? Don't call me Meg. Why not? You never have before. Don't you see? I want a name for you that no one else uses. Margaret, close to him. Yes, yes, that no one else has ever used. Not Meg, not Margaret. Make a name of your own for me. New, new. Well, you're getting one new name pretty soon, anyhow. Yes. New year, new name, new life. In his arms. Oh, Gray, is thirty-five very old? Not when you say it. Oh, Gray, we've time for everything still. Time for everything. <laughs> Except church, my child. Do you really insist on going? Aunt Hester will be horrified if I don't. Besides... She comes back to the table and begins putting the papers together. What? I suppose you'll think me a fool. Shall I? Oh, Gray, for the first time in my life I'm happy. I want to say— What does she want to say? Humble and hearty thanks. Sidney runs in with a puppy in her arms. She is followed by Kit. Kit is a good-looking, fair-haired boy, who may be twenty-two, but is nevertheless much younger than Sidney, whom he takes as seriously as he takes everything else in life. It is part of her charm for him that he finds it a little difficult to keep up with her. Mother! Mother! Look what Gray's brought me! Oh, Sidney, your aunt isn't fond of dogs. Merry Christmas, Kit. Merry Christmas, Mrs. Fairfield. Yes, but isn't he an angel? And Kit's given me a collar for him. She goes up to Gray. You know, Gray, it's so sweet of you that in return I'll... Well? Make Kit late for church, if you like. Gray, putting himself in her hands. I did promise him a lift. He can cut across the fields. Kit, what about a bone for the angel? You might go and make love to Bassett. She puts the dog into his arms. They stroll off together into the inner room. Kit, earnestly, as he goes out through the base door. He ought to be kept at biscuits. Sidney, calling to him. Just one to gnaw. Then, over her shoulder. Mother, the bells have been going quite a while. Margaret, to Gray. Listen, don't you love them? Church bells? Wedding bells. Margaret, you step straight out of a trollop novel. Margaret, flushing. I suppose you think I'm sentimental. No, but you're pure nineteenth century. I'm not. Telephone bell rings. 
Oh. There goes the twentieth. Don't you see how it makes you jump? Sydney has gone to the telephone. Hello? Hello? You rang me up. She hangs up the receiver. Sorry you have been troubled. And it's sure to be someone trying to get on. On Christmas morning? Hardly. I say, come along. The bells have stopped. Yes, they stopped when that other bell rang. Why, mother, what's the matter? They stopped. I told you, darling, you're late. Give me my furs. I'm cold. Gray helps her on with them. Sydney, proud of her. They are lovely. Margaret, at the door, wistfully. It isn't too good to be true, is it? The furs? Everything. You. Oh, what a fool I am. <laughs> you hear Gray's laugh answering hers as they go out together, and the sound of the motor driving away. Sydney, subsiding onto the sofa, to Kit, who has come in as the others go. I thought they'd never get off. Mother has a way of standing around and gently fussing. I tell you I'll be glad when next week's over. So'll I. I haven't had a look in lately. Sidney, with an intimate glance. Not last night? But it has been a job, running mother. I'm bridesmaid and best man and family lawyer and Juliet's nurse all rolled into one, and a sort of lightning conductor for Aunt Hester into the bargain. That's why I've had so little time for you. It's quite true what Gray was saying just now. Mother is nineteenth century. She's sweet and helpless, but she's obstinate, too. My word, the time she took making up her mind to get that divorce. It's just about that that I've been wanting to talk to you. You see... Well? You see... Hurry up, old thing. Well, you see, when I got home last night, the governor was sitting up for me. He would be. And in the course of the row, you came into it. Oh, but he likes me. Yes, he was quite soothed when I said we were engaged. Liar! Oh, well. She finds his chuckle infectious. What did he say? Oh, lots of rot, of course, about being too young. But he was quite bucked, really, until... Well? Well, I was a fool. I said something, quite by chance, about your father. Then the fur began to fly. You see, it seems he thought your mother was a widow. What's it got to do with him? Well, you see... If he'd only make me see instead of you, seeing me all the time. I'm afraid of hurting your feelings. I'm not nineteenth century. Well, my people are. Well? That's the trouble. My people are. Father promptly began about not seeing his way to... To what, Kit? To... to marrying them. But I've never heard of anything so crazy. Of course, you know, there's nothing to worry about. There are heaps of clergymen who will. My dear boy, if Mother isn't married in her own parish church, she'll think she's living in sin. Well, there it is. But look here. The old rector knew all about it. Do you mean to say that a new man could come into our parish and insult Mother just because his beastly conscience doesn't work the same way the old rector's did? The divorce is perfectly legal. Yes, Father knows all that. Of course, I don't see myself why a registry office... If it were me, I'd prefer it. Much less fuss. But Mother wouldn't. But she ought to see. But she won't. It's no good reckoning on what people ought to be. You've got to deal with them as they are. Well, I'm awfully sorry. It's no use being sorry. We've got to do something. When once the old man gets an idea into his head... He'd better not let it out in front of Mother. Gray'd half kill him if he did. And I tell you this, Kit. What Gray leaves, I'll account for, even if he is your father. Poor little Mother. Well, I'm all on your side. You know that. But of course, Sidney, a clergyman needn't remarry divorced people. It's in that bill. 
the governor was quoting it to-day but doesn't he know the circumstances he only knows what i do one doesn't shout things at people naturally but it's nothing to be ashamed of it's only that my unfortunate father has been in an asylum ever since i can remember shell-shock it began before i was born he never came home again mother had to give up going to see him even it excited him so frightfully pretty tragic oh for years now he hasn't known anyone luckily and he's well looked after he's quite all right you're a queer girl but he is yes but what your own father my dear boy i've never even seen him oh of course it's very sad but i can't go about with my handkerchief in my eyes all the time can i yes but i hate can't kit leaning over the back of the sofa his hands playing with her chain you little brute you're as hard as nails aren't you sydney putting up her face to him am i they kiss miss fairfield passing through really sydney before lunch you know old thing sometimes i don't feel as if i should ever really get on with your aunt sydney dimpling you'll have to if good lord you don't want her in the house i must take her off mother sometimes that's only fair but she shan't worry you i say you're going to have things your own way aren't you but of course i am darling but look here marriage is sort of a mutual show isn't it we've got to pull together of course but suppose we come to a crossroads so to speak well somebody'll have to give way won't they darling hmm my dear boy if you want a doormat you'd better look out for someone someone like poor dear mother for instance kit wiser than he knows but you are like her sydney me do you think i'd let my daughter run me the way i run mother not much miss fairfield re-entering i think i left my murmurs sydney aside it's no good she's doing this on purpose because i cheeked her you'd better go old man besides it must be well through the anthem good lord i should think i had better go sydney going to the door with him i say keep your father quiet till i've had time to talk to gray right he goes out kit reappearing yes come round in the afternoon right he goes out kit reappearing yes i don't suppose there'll ever be any crossroads darling a scuffle sydney reappears patting her hair i'm afraid i disturbed a tete-a-tete oh auntie whatever made you think that but i really couldn't sit in the drawing-room there's no fire she sits down and opens her book when we are married we'll have sausages for tea do you mind being quiet while i read the service sorry she takes up some knitting what are you doing tie for kit sydney needlework on a sunday well i can't sit in the drawing-room either if there's no fire there's no need to lose your temper here i'm going as she makes for the staircase the telephone gives a broken tinkle sydney i believe that telephone's going off yes i'm sure it's someone trying to get on they've rung up once already sydney i won't be left to deal with it the telephone rings deafeningly there i told you so well it's not my fault she takes off the receiver hello hello yes 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 to her aunt it's a trunk call who on earth yes hello yes mrs fairfield's out shall i take a message 
This is Miss Fairfield speaking. All right, I'll hold on. Auntie, it's from Bedford. It's about father. Into the telephone. Yes. This is Miss Fairfield speaking. What? Good Lord! Sidney, don't say good Lord. But you should have let Mrs. Fairfield know. Only this morning. Oh, I see. No, we've heard nothing. When did you find out? What makes you... I see. No, he's not here. Of course we'd let you know. Then you'll let us know at once if anything... Yes. Miss Fairfield. Mrs. Fairfield is going away very soon. Thank you. Goodbye. Sidney hangs up the receiver and turns round. Well? Father's got away. What? Who spoke to you? The head man. What's his name? Rogers. Frightfully upset. I should think so. Why, the poor fellow's dangerous. Apparently he's been very much better lately in this last week. A marked change, he says. You mean he's getting well? Looks like it. Rogers was awfully guarded, but apparently they'd already written to Uncle Hugh and the solicitors. They ought to have written to me. Of course they wouldn't want to write to Mother. Now? But we ought to have heard. When did they miss him? This morning. Then a lot about its being inexplicable and the precautions they had taken and so on. The fact remains that he has managed to get away. Oh, it's disgraceful carelessness. Their theory is that he has suddenly come to himself. Is it possible, Auntie? Can it happen, after sixteen years? It's quite possible. It does. It was the same with my poor sister Grace. After ten years, that was. But the doctor said incurable. The Almighty's greater than the doctor's. And nerves. Nerves are queer things. I nursed your Aunt Grace. Well, I always told your mother to wait. Is that a fact about Aunt Grace? Was she out of her mind, too? She never had to be sent away. Nobody ever told me. There's something in most families. But with father, wasn't it shell-shock? It was brought on by shell-shock. Do you mean that in our family there's insanity? Miss Fairfield, fidgeting. That's not the way to talk. But we're nervy, all of us. We're nervy. Your poor father would have been no worse than the rest if it hadn't been for the war. What do you mean, nervy? Miss Fairfield, with a sidelong glance. I mean, the way you're taking this. How am I taking it? Well, look at you now. I'm perfectly under control. That's it. It's not natural. You mean I shouldn't bother to control myself if— You're too young to think about such things. If I weren't afraid, you mean. Did Mother know? When she married? I tell you, there are troubles in every family, but one doesn't talk about them. But did she know the trouble was insanity? I don't know. Did Father? One always knows in a general sort of way. Am I nervy? Young people don't have nerves. Insanity! A thing you can hand on! And I told Kit it was shell-shock! I don't see what difference it makes to Christopher. You don't see what difference— You don't see— But I see— Aunt Hester, suppose father really gets well. Well? Whatever will he do? It's a question of what your mother will do. But it won't have anything to do with mother. Won't it? What on earth are you driving at? I can't discuss it with you. Why not? You're too young. I'm old enough to be engaged. You're not engaged. 
kissed then you saw that half an hour ago didn't you i might just as well say i can't discuss it with you because you are too old how dare you speak to me like that oh are all old people such stone walls here's a shadow here's a trouble here's a ghost in the house and when i ask you what shall i do you talk about your blessed dignity miss fairfield rising this is the second time in one morning that you have driven me out of the room sydney wringing her hands well i'm sorry but i'm so worried don't you see i've got to keep it off mother following her irresolutely auntie if you'd only be decent but miss fairfield has gone out sydney turns back into the room if i only knew what to do she stands hesitating then she goes to the telephone makes a movement as if to take it down but checks herself shaking her head she comes back to the sofa at last and flings herself down on it fidgeting with the cushions and frowning she is roused by the click of a latch as the french window in the inner room is softly opened and hilary fairfield steps over the threshold he is a big fresh-coloured man with grey hair and bowed shoulders in speech and movements he is quick and jerky inclined to be boisterous but pathetically easy to check this he knows himself and he has indeed an air of being always in rebellion against his own habit of obedience he comes in treading softly his bright eyes dancing with excitement like a child getting ready to spring a surprise on someone something in the fashion of the empty room for he does not see sydney crouching in the cushions disconcerts him he hesitates the happy little smile fades his eye wanders from one object to another and he moves about recognizing a picture here fingering there an unfamiliar hanging as if it were losing and finding himself a dozen times in his progress round the room he comes to a stand at last before the fireplace warming his hands then he takes out a pipe and with the other hand feels absently along the mantelpiece sydney who has been watching him with a sort of breathless sympathy says softly what are you looking for they've moved my um with a start huh he turns sharply and sees her mag it's mag oh my own darling sydney her confidence in her power to deal with the situation suddenly gone i i'm not mag not mag tell me i don't know mag sydney gives a nervous schoolgirl giggle huh no no it's um it's not meg uh, i i i beg your pardon I, I i thought you were um another girl um i, I i've been away a, a long time whom do you want there you see it's her voice too um who are you how did you get in oh <laughs> toolshed gate um who are you where have you come from <laughs> oh uh bedford um i took a car <laughs> um who who are you whom do you want to see who are you i think i'm your daughter hillary stares at her blankly then he bursts out laughing huh? <laughs> <laughs> daughter <laughs> daughter by god that's good my wife is my wife she's my daughter and my, my daughter's seventeen and i'm twenty-two you're forgetting what years and years yes of course it's years and years it's a lifetime it's my daughter's lifetime <laughs> well, 
What's your name, daughter? Sydney. Sydney. Sydney, huh? Hmm. My mother was Sydney. I like Sydney. I, uh... <clears throat> I suppose uh, we're rather a shock to each other, Sydney. No, you're not a shock to me. But I'm afraid... Um, is my, um... Is your... Where's Margaret? At church. Um, back soon, huh? Yes, that's why I'm afraid. Uh, I might go to meet her, huh? Oh, I wouldn't. Come and sit down and wait for her, and talk. Talk to me. <sighs> Very well. He sits down beside her on the sofa. They look at each other. He says shyly, I say, <laughs> isn't this queer? It makes me want to cry. Why? That's all over. Laugh! <laughs> Laugh! That's the thing to do. Ah, what a lovely room this is. Though I, I can't say I like the new paper. Um, or the curtains. Yes, I like the old red one, too. Those aren't uh, the only changes. Everything changes. <laughs> Bet your Aunt Hester hasn't, huh? <laughs> they look at each other and laugh. <laughs> and I bet you... <laughs> I say, <clears throat> is, um, is your mother such a darling still? Sydney, recalled to the business before her, brusquely. Look here, father. Father, father. <laughs> well. We've got to talk. We've got to get things straight before she comes back. Hillary, his eye and his attention beginning to wander. Ah, back soon, eh? Why, why has Meg moved the clock? It, it was much better where we put it. Must, um, must get it put back. So, nearly one. She's, she's late, isn't she? I, um, I, I really think you know. Uh, I'll go out and 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 meet your mother. You're to stay here. Uh, very well. <laughs> I, I'll do as I like about that. I'll not have you frighten her. I. He smiles securely. Can't you realize what the shock? Never known anyone to die of joy yet. <laughs> Father, you don't understand. You and Mother. Look, look here. This has nothing to do with you. But you mustn't. Now, uh, now I tell you, I'm not going to be hectored. I, I, I won't stand for it. I've had enough of it. Do you hear? I've had enough of it. If you talk to my mother like this. <sighs> Meg understands. So do I understand. Oh, I, I believe you do. You got wild all in a moment. That, that's my way, too. It means nothing. I'm, I'm, Meg can't see that it means nothing, but it, it makes a man wild, you know, to be dragooned when he's as sane as... My my God, I am sane. That's that's all over, isn't it? I, I, I am sane. Daughter. Sydney, watching him. Father? Uh, don't... Don't let me get, um, that way. It, it's, it's bad. Help, help me to go slow. I, I'm, I'm as well as you are, you know, but it's new. Um, it's only happened today, like, like a curtain lifting. You see, I, I was standing in the garden. I can't conceive how you got away. <laughs> Led, like Peter out of prison. <laughs> I went through the gate openly. Their eyes were blinded. Ah, pure luck, you know. Um, there were visitors going out, and, and, and I nipped along with him, talking. <laughs> no one spotted me. I, I wouldn't have believed it possible. 
Uh, heaps of us. Uh, of them, I mean, you know, have tried, you know. But you know money. <laughs> I took the first taxi I saw. I promised him double. He's at the lower gate now, waiting to be paid. Sidney, jumping up. Father dear, ticking away the tuppences. We're not millionaires. Ah, oh, your mother'll see to it. Sound of a motor horn. That's him. I suppose he's got tired of waiting and come around. No, no, that'll be mother. You mustn't stop here. You must let me tell her. You must let me tell her first. She goes out hurriedly. Oh, uh, um, your your mother is it? Uh, your mother, eh? Um, here, child, uh, a minute. Give me a, give me a minute. Give me a, give me a minute. Margaret, as she comes in. No, he couldn't. But he's coming round directly after lunch. Hilary. Hilary, like a man who can't see. Uh, Meg, is it Meg? Meg, uh, I've I've come home. Sydney, don't go away. It's all right, mother. Meg. But they said, they said incurable. They shouldn't have said incurable. Well, what does it matter? I, I'm well. I'm uh, I'm well, Meg. I, I I tell you, it came over me like a like a lantern flash, like 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 a face turning to to you. Uh, I I was in the garden, you know, lost. I was a lost soul, a outcast, no hope. I, oh, I can never make anyone understand. I, I was never like the rest of them. I, I, I was sane, always. But the, the face was, was turned away. What face? Oh, the, the face of, uh, of God. Sidney, is he? It's all right, Mother. That isn't madness. He's come to himself. Then, then what am I to do? What's that? He comes nearer. I, I... Hilary, staring at her. You don't say a word. One would think you weren't glad to see me. Aren't you glad to see me? Of course, glad. You poor Hilary. If you knew what it is to say to myself, I'm at home. That place... Oh, but there was every comfort. Hell. Hell. But they were good to you. Oh, good enough. They didn't ill-treat. Mother, you know you did the very best. Oh, if it had been heaven, well, what, what difference does it make? I was a dead man. Do you know what the dead do in heaven? They, they sit on their golden chairs and sicken for home. Why, what, why did you never come? They wouldn't let me. It made you worse. Because I, I, I wanted you so. But you didn't know me. Oh, my voice didn't, and my speech and my actions didn't, but I knew you, Meg. Behind the curtain, behind the, the dreams and the noises and the, and, and the abandonment of God, I, I wanted you. I, I wanted, I, I wanted, oh. He puts his hand to his head. Look here, um... We mustn't talk of these things. It's not safe. I, I, I tell you, when, when I talk, I, I see a black hand reaching up through the floor. Do you see? There. Through the widening crack of the floor. Eh? To catch me by the ankle and, and drag. Drag. Father. Father. Go slow. Sydney. It's all right, Mother. We'll manage. Hillary, turning to her. Yes, yes. You tell your mother. I, I, I'm all right. You understand that, don't you? Don't you? I mean, once, 
Once it was a real hand. Now, now, I, I know, it's in my mind. I, uh, I, I tell you, Meg, I, I'm well. But it, it's not safe to think back yet. Not safe to think about anything but, uh, oh, my dear, the holly and the crackle of the fire and the snow like a, like a veil of peace on me, on me, and, and, and you, like, like the snow, so still. He comes to her with outstretched arms. No, no, no. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He catches her to him. For pity's sake, Hilary. Bassett, entering. Lunch is served, ma'am. Sydney. Lay an extra cover. This, my, this gentleman is staying to lunch. Staying to lunch. To lunch. <laughs> That's a good joke, isn't it? I say, listen, I'm, <laughs> I'm laughing. Do you know I'm laughing? Ah, it's blessed to laugh. Staying to lunch. Yes, my girl. Lunch and tea and supper and breakfast. Thank God. And for many a long day. Curtain. End of Act One.